Thanks, Mike. So as uh, most of you know, not all of you, um, I wasn't here last Sunday, and I had a big decision to make, um, which I didn't have to make the first time I took a few days, because you remember on the vacation days I took in March, I actually went over and visited our church in Tenasket that Sunday. Some might argue that wasn't really a vacation day, but I wanted to do it. But last Sunday I had no such plans. And so the decision I had to make was, maybe you've had this decision before, do I really want to get up and go to church somewhere? And, and do I really want to go to my wife's church? Where I don't know two-thirds of the people, but they all know who I am. <laughs> you know? Um, really had this tough decision to make. And um, uh, it was even suggested to me, why don't you just go play golf? Well, I thought about it. I ended up playing the next day, but I didn't play that day. So I went to church. I, th- I think I went because uh, I knew it would make Andy happy. I was there because I hardly ever get to worship in her church. It's very, very rare. So, um, so that was my rationale. But still, I went and was like, oh, "Am I ready to be public and in front of people and all of this sort of thing?" And I got to, no matter what my reaction is, I got to give a nice face and all of this. You probably never had this problem, right? Um, and um, and so. Um, so by the time I got there, I was really kind of fighting my own attitude, you know. Um, and uh, uh, so then worship gets started, and the first thing that I noticed was, well, I think it started before that. I looked through the bulletin, right? You know, and then worship gets started, and I'm already in the full mode. My church hat is back on. My you know, all my ideas about what makes good worship and what makes bad worship was all there. You know, and I was in some kind of attitude of a combination of, oh, I wonder if there's something that they're going to do today that, that, you know, we could do in Colville that I hadn't thought of. And the other part of me was saying, why did they do that? I don't like that. You know? Um... They do a lot with their choir there. I know we bemoan not having a choir, and I do kind of miss that kind of thing as important part of a church. But personally, I'm not a big choir person. I've always, like in music, liked solos, duets, small groups, things like that. Um, you know, and uh, that's just my personal thing. So I thought, oh, yeah, everyone's... I could hear people whispering, oh, wasn't that beautiful what the choir did? And I'm thinking... Could we have a solo or duet or something? You know? So uh, all, I found myself taking an attitude of comparing and judging what was happening there, right? Uh, what's that? Very judging. <laughs> yeah, very judging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I only share this with you because it's unique. It only happens to me. No one else. We don't walk into other places and do this. We go to maybe a... You know, walk in here some Sunday and maybe we're doing something that you say, oh, when they do that, I don't like that or whatever. Or that's not good worship or I can't, you know, be with God when this happens, that sort of thing. Um, or maybe you go to some other church sometime and you say, God, this is so foreign, this is so different to me. 
Um, so I was really becoming aware of, and I don't want to be on vacation, but I had to become aware of what my attitude was, you know, and I had to pay attention to all of that. So I, I guess it was good for me. It didn't feel vac- very vacationy. Uh, it kind of reminded me back when we, when Andy and I were first uh, dealing with the process of knowing we were not going to be staying in the Roman Catholic Church, and we went around and visited a bunch of churches when we were living in Olympia. We ended up at United Churches of Olympia, where Andy worked for a number of years, um, and uh, and. She finally had to tell me to shut up, especially when she got on staff, because I would sit there and worship, and I would be saying, they shouldn't do it that way. Um, their pastor at the time had this habit of, he'd be reading a scripture passage, and he would stop in the middle to give commentary on the scripture passage rather than just letting it be heard. And I'd say, that goes against everything I learned in seminary. You know. So last week I was reminded of how when I first came into the UCC, it was all so different to me. Uh, people did it a lot of different ways, and none of them did it the way I learned in the Roman Catholic Church, right? So, so, uh, so I came into the scriptures today thinking about the, the, this kind of attitude that happens within me, and I actually suspect in different ways, manifests in different ways, happens within all of us that we walk into many situations um, not with a just an openness to what the gift might be in that experience, but with an expectation or a dread or a judgment or they better not do this or whatever. Um, and so I came into the scriptures today and I began to see some of this uh, in starting with the, the uh, reading from John's Gospel. Um, and... Uh, in fact, I, I don't really like all that. Mike, thanks for saying this was in parentheses because it's kind of like um, the gospel writer John. You know, you know those shows that are on now where it's all being acted out and then one of the characters turns to the camera to talk to the audience and say, what's really going on here is, because of course you're not smart enough to figure it out for yourself. So they want to control the message for you, right? That's kind of what John does here. It, it kind of annoys me too. See, so I got into this attitude all week long uh, about this whole thing. Um, but you know, I started to think about what was the attitude of the different people when they showed up to this uh, to this dinner. I, I suppose Lazarus probably had a great attitude because you know he'd been brought back to life by Jesus, right? Now you're having dinner with him, right? Not bad, right? That, that could kind of make your day, you know? I'm pretty grateful to you, Jesus. I'm willing to listen to anything now, Jesus. Um, but then um, Martha is off serving, and we know we get from other Gospels different angles on Martha, right? That's not this Mary and Martha story, okay? But, um, but we, we know from life that, um, that sometimes the people who are serving... Um, have a lot of ideas going through their heads and they're saying, if I was going to say something, this is what I would say. I'm not going to say it right now. Maybe go back in the kitchen and whisper, whatever. I don't know. I have no idea from this what Martha's attitude was going on at this dinner. But we can speculate. Um, So then we have Mary, who uh, the first thing you need to know 
is that Mary is being a little influenced by the gospel writer John here because John wants to announce to you, this time he doesn't do it in parentheses, he does it with the perfume and the oils, um, that uh, this Jesus is somebody different. And we're, he's going to get the kind of anointing that you get for death and burial because John's letting us know what is to come, right? What is to come. And that's, that could be another whole sermon. But the other part of it is that Mary is doing it with great elegance and extravagance, you know? The kind of thing where maybe you go out and do something really fancy, maybe you go on a trip and you know, spend half your life savings, or you go out and spend three times as much on an elegant meal than you normally spend, and then you have a little thought in your back of your brain, oh, I could have given that to the poor or something like that, right? Um, but Mary has no hesitation in this moment in being extravagant um, in the, with the perfumes and the anointing of, of Jesus. And so it would be interesting to know a little bit more of what she was thinking as she prepared for that. But we don't get that. We get a lot more about Judas Iscariot, don't we? You know? And you, Right now, see, we're already going to have an attitude because we know what happens to Judas. But when this happens in the story, they don't know. They don't know he's going to be the, the betrayer. Well, of course the betrayer would have a bad attitude and would complain, right? Of course the betrayer would do that. But you've got to hear that we don't know that about this now. What we know is, and, and we see this sometimes in ourselves, but we've seen it in a lot of churches and organizations we've been involved in. Um, I don't want you to do this. And I'm going to come up with an argument why you should do it differently. And the argument is, we should be not spending it all, we should be giving money to the poor. Right? Should be giving money to the poor. Um, and, and Judas is pushing hard, making his case. And then probably one of the most misunderstood things that Jesus says in any of the Gospels, when he says, you know, he says leave her alone, he gets what the extravagance is all about, he understands all this. You will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So as I was going through this and even reading a few commentaries this week on this, you know, we've always heard that kind of like... I mean, I've always heard it as kind of a resignation. You're always going to, don't worry about it. You can't do anything about the poor. They're always just going to be there. They're always going to be a problem. We know that, right? I, I drive around Spokane, and I always see them on the corner. And uh, we know we have a warming center here in town. By the way, the season just ended uh, for that. And, uh, and yet still, the weather isn't perfect. Um, and uh, it feels like, it's either going to stay the same or get worse, and we're always going to have them, right? But there's another idea of being with that I think is Jesus' attitude. We will always have the attitude of being with the poor. But you know what? We don't have to 100% focus on that at every single moment. Sometimes we can focus on something else. Let's right now focus on what Mary is doing. Let's focus on the extravagant understanding that she has of God's love and of what this tender and gentle moment of anointing is about. You don't have to, it's not an either or. You don't have to either give the money to the poor or spend extravagantly. There is room 
and moments for both, you know? Um, and sometimes I realize that when I go into situations with different attitudes, whether it's at my wife's church or whether it was back at United Churches, it's kind of like, you know, everything doesn't have to be for me in this exact moment, you know? And that doesn't mean people aren't with me and don't care about me because they didn't do all the things the way I thought they should do them or the way I want to do them every moment. There'll be a time when the focus is on what I care about and there'll be a time when the focus is on what somebody else cares about. And there'll be a time when the focus is on what the moment calls for. And Mary did what the moment calls for here. But the reason I wanted to talk about attitude is because we know this is true. Sometimes there's something wonderful that could be a new gift to us and a new understanding, but our attitude blocks us from seeing it or being open to it because we immediately compare it to what we think should happen, what we think should be done, what this dinner should have been about, or what our bigger mission should have been about. Well, don't let's not spend time at dinner having fun with anointings. Let's get about our business, figure out how we're going to solve poverty in the world. Good way to ruin dinner, um, you know. Um, so, really focusing a lot on that attitude this week, and I think it has a lot to do with what the Lent journey is about, because the Lent journey, we're we're trying to break our attitude apart so that we can let God in to show us a path and some possibilities we never consider when we walk in with our big coat of attitude all, all around us, right? And so in the Isaiah reading, he says, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. So go in fresh. Go in and take this moment for what it is what it could be. Don't remember. Don't remember the former things and start comparing. And don't remember what what happened way back then. That was maybe good for that time, but something else and new is good for this time. And so he goes on and says, I am about to do a new thing and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do we see the new thing that God is doing in our midst, in our world, in our lives? Do we perceive it? Often we don't perceive it because of our attitude. It puts a wall up around us. And it causes an interaction of comparison and judgment an expectation, rather than an openness, an openness to the new thing. <coughs> so, we're going to head into Holy Week really soon next week. And really that week is the intense practice of dying to what has to go away so that something new can be born. It's not just about Jesus. It's not just about saving the world. It's about the process of our lives as individuals, as a community, as a society, as a world. 
So what's your attitude today? And in a couple of minutes, we're going to invite you during meditation to consider that in the meditation time a little bit about your attitude, my attitude, and opening up to God's attitude towards us. May God do a new thing as we approach Easter in each of our lives. Amen.